Hello and welcome to another episode of The Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and I'm pleased to be joined by my co-host Helena Beer. How are you doing today, Helena? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, Yes, we've been celebrating a really successful publication of the latest issue of Gold since last week's episode, as well as continuing to work on the next one. So the fun never stops here at Gold HQ, but it's been a very exciting time. How has your week been? Yeah, it's been good. Thank you. It's been great to celebrate Gold's recent success. But in addition to that, we also launched an exciting new brand of EMJ last week. Now, if you don't know, EMJ is the parent company of Gold. It's been a lot of work, but we're really pleased with the brand new logo and website, which launched last Thursday and coincided with our ongoing celebrations for the company's 10 year anniversary. Yes, it looks fantastic. But back to the podcast. So what do we have coming up on today's episode? It's a veritable smorgasbord of topics and interviews, I think. Indeed it is. Well, in a moment, we'll be diving into the news you might have missed. But for our interview this week, we're talking to Michele Manto, who is the Chief Commercial Officer at Galapagos. I really enjoyed catching up with him a few weeks ago to discuss his move from Big Pharma to the world of biotech, why he always says yes to new opportunities and much, much more. Yes, he's a great guest. And we've also snuck in a second interview this week. And we're speaking to Robert Grimm, Digital Marketing and Transformation Manager at Novo Nordisk. And we chat to him about developing marketing campaigns. So do stay tuned for both of those interviews. But for now, let's catch up on the news you might have missed. So Helena, what's been happening in the news this week? Well, as everyone will be well aware, we're currently facing an outbreak of monkeypox, with it starting in Europe at the beginning of May and now having spread pretty much worldwide. A new study published in the journal Nature Medicine suggests that the virus is mutating six to 12 times faster than expected, and the UK, for example, could see as many as 60,000 new cases per day by the end of the year. Wow, that's a lot of cases. So to tackle the spread of monkeypox, EMA's Human Medicines Committee has begun a review of data to extend the use of the smallpox vaccine, Invenex, to encompass monkeypox in its protection portfolio due to the similarity of the viruses. This decision was made based on results from non-clinical data in lab studies, which suggested the vaccine triggers the production of antibodies that target the monkeypox virus. Invenex supplies are currently quite limited in the EU. However, in the US, where the vaccine is marketed as Gineos, it's already authorised for the prevention of both smallpox and monkeypox. EMA's Emergency Task Force has recommended that the vaccine could be used to protect against monkeypox in the EU, advising national authorities who may decide to import the vaccine as a temporary measure in view of the rising rates of infection. And there was some news from the ABPI too, I saw. Yes, this week saw the ABPI publish the latest information detailing transfers of value from pharma companies to healthcare organisations and HCPs. The data demonstrates an increase in transparency in this area. So 72.6% of HCPs agreed to have these transfers made public, um, and that's an increase from 68.1% in 2020 and 55.9% the year before that. Um, So in total, £405 million was disclosed for R&D collaborations with HCPs and HCOs in 2021, an increase of 16% on the year. R&D activity is clearly back on the rise after the pandemic. Indeed it is. £152 million was spent on non-R&D collaborations in 2021, which is down 5% on the amount seen prior to the pandemic. 
These values include a range of collaborations, including contracted services, donations and grants, sponsorship agreements, and much more. Richard Torbett, chief executive at the ABPI, commented that this is good news for transparency before adding that partnerships between industry and the NHS are essential. They help develop new medicines and vaccines, improve care for patients and benefit the NHS. Of course, we want to improve the transparency of Disclosure UK still further, and we are working hard to do so. However, the latest data is an encouraging sign that we're on the right track. Another story that stood out to me this past week was Sanofi's decision to slash insulin prices in the US for those without insurance. The pharma giant stated that it will cut the pricing of its insulin products from $99 a month to $35 a month in a step toward greater access to medicine in the country. The US may soon be establishing a ceiling of the same price for insulin across the board for Medicare Part D beneficiaries, with a measure passed by the House of Representatives regarding this currently awaiting review by the Senate. This new initiative from Sanofi updates its insulin value savings program in the US and follows similar drops in price from Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly in recent years. Adam Gluck, head of US and global speciality care corporate affairs at Sanofi, commented that this was all informed by patient feedback and continues addressing access and affordability challenges for all people living with diabetes, regardless of insurance coverage. Hopefully these change markers can spark greater and more affordable access to vital medicines, not only in the US, but across the globe. And now for my interview with Michele Manto, a passionate leader in life sciences. He's driven by a mission to bring life-changing innovations from the lab to patients and society. As chief commercial officer at Galapagos, he's responsible for building and leading their commercialization organization and capabilities. Talking about his mission there, he has said that it's like building a house on an empty plot of land. We need no work around existing pillars or structures. We have the freedom to create the company we envision. It's a great analogy there. So let's have a listen. Hello, I'm delighted to be joined by Michele Manto, Chief Commercial Officer at Galapagos. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michele. How are you? Hi, Mark. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm in, in Italy for this uh, uh, long weekend before Eula. And uh, yeah, couldn't be a better time. Uh, of course. Promises to be an absolutely fascinating Congress. So I hope that goes well for you. Now, let's get started. So nearly 20 years ago, you left a career in consultancy at McKinsey and Company to join the pharmaceutical industry. Why did you decide to do this at that time? Yeah, look, consultancy was uh, a time of uh, of experiences. I considered this kind of an academy of uh, of business. You do so many things in short time. Uh, you learn agility and you learn how to understand different businesses. At that time, after a few years, I realized I I just wanted to get the responsibility. I wanted to to have the connection between the understanding of uh, of a business of a situation the definition of the of the path you want to take but ultimately then doing it right getting to 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 the end as we say at galapagos make it happen and uh yeah that's a privilege you don't have uh, in, in consulting you have to get into the industry and and then specifically pharmaceutical was the uh, you know a, a connection kind of sweet spot of uh, of many passions uh, of mine uh one uh, definitely is the fact that that's the place where you can have so much an impact on the life of so many people 
uh, a good impact in in uh, extending lives, improving quality of lives. And uh, well, I'm not a physician; I'm an engineer. Uh, so I passed that station probably to be the the, the, the physician helping a patient in front of you. But uh, I say, well, I have other skills, and and I can take them to this industry, and and and, and that's what I've been doing for the past uh, well, counting uh, twenty years or so. Great, thank you. And, and you talked there in terms of really taking kind of responsibility, defining a path and a, and a strategy. And I guess that's what you went on to do uh, after that consultancy career working at Abbott and, and AbbVie. But after that, you obviously joined Galapagos in, in 2017 as their senior vice president of commercial operations. What what motivated you to leave those, those bigger pharma organizations for smaller biopharma? Yeah, look, I see all these steps in a, in a career in life as a, as stepping stones, right? So you, you, you learn so much at every opportunity. And, uh, and large pharma, big pharma, of course, uh, give the opportunity to see different countries and, and, and fantastic leaders uh, uh, from whom I could, I could uh, really learn uh, about leadership, learn about uh, markets, learn about patients, uh, the attention to patients, how to, how to do the right thing. But what I came after many years to to see as my next uh, challenge, as, as the next level, was really to start from from blank sheet of paper. That's that's how I envision it, and uh, with a title which was at the time so uh, make Galapagos a fully integrated bio uh, biotech company, starting from the core of uh, research and development, and having that in a blank sheet of paper, then having the ultimate ability to create an organization. Uh, to define a, a, a path, to create a strategy, recruit people, uh, work with them, uh, face totally new and different challenges, and uh, and make it happen again uh, at a scale that in a large pharma you cannot simply because you are building on something which already exists, right? And that's a different type of challenge. That's a different type of motivation. And I just was looking for for this other one. And uh, well, that's definitely what I found in these past five years. No, I'm absolutely fascinating. And I guess when you talk about kind of challenges, obviously at the peak of the pandemic, you became uh, chief commercial officer at Galapagos. So do you think that that, that was the, the greatest challenge or has been your greatest challenge during your time at, at Galapagos or, or do you think it's something else? Well, actually, it compounded with, with the other uh, challenges we, we were facing at the time, I mean, which were, which were more concerning Galapagos in its phase of, of of growth as a company, right? We were in the phase after seventeen when I when I joined, and then twenty twenty, where we were building the organization in Europe for the first time to bring our first medicine uh, coming out of our research and development, so years of discovery and development, and and we're finally at that stage to uh, build the organization, which means doing things that few biotechs really happen to come to do, right? Uh, uh, having a, a supply chain, having uh, the ability to distribute to patients, having the marketing authorization, having the reimbursement of prices, ultimately having the medical information and, 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 and the sales force. So all the things that are a major step and, and we wanted to do them. And exactly at that time, the pandemic hit, of course. So that was a, was a, 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 an exponential increase in the, in the complexity because I had to recruit people uh, remotely. Uh, we could not meet uh, at the same time where we are building an organization. So you want to just deploy a culture, deliver a culture, and, and you cannot do it face-to-face because everybody's sitting at home. 
with a lot of other concerns, of course, that were affecting the whole the whole world. So yeah, it was uh, it was a challenging time, but I would say this um, also played on one of the cultural features of of Galapagos, which is perseverance and this uh, culture of raise the bar, embrace uh, embrace change, uh, and ultimately make it happen. That kind of makes us stronger in the adversity, if you want. Uh, and I, I believe that nobody wanted it, uh, but ultimately these difficulties down the road helped us strengthen uh, our our community, our our organization in this in this path. Great, no, thank you. Um, really, really interesting, and and great to hear about that that value of kind of make it happen and and perseverance. It'd be great just to pick up on one of the points you talked there in terms of those challenges of how you create a culture remotely and recruitment and all of these kind of challenges that, that, that you faced during the pandemic, how did you overcome that? And, and, and are you seeing kind of the fruits of that today? Look, it's about, first there is one thing being about open, open-minded. Yes. You need to have going back that, uh, that, that page where you write your strategy, you write where you want to come, define your organization but then ultimately reality reality comes. You open the door and there is a world outside and maybe it's a world which is different from the one envisioned before. So that, that's the first thing is about for myself as a leader and for the, the people uh, that join me in the team, the, the, the great talents that join me in the team was about having that, that trait of, of being flexible, right? And uh, I think that, uh, that was the most important leadership uh, traits that uh, that we had to demonstrate and and we had to grow and, and strengthen, and uh, and yes, that's that's kind of also selected the people who, who joined Galapagos. So in this period of the pandemic, our organization grew in Europe by a few hundred people. Right, uh, most of them, as I said, were recruited uh, on a Zoom call. Right, and uh, because we could not wait for the pandemic to be up to be over, uh, we had a product to launch and. Uh, and so also that selection of the people who wanted to uh, change to leave a bigger, larger organization and joining a, an emerging company like, like Galapagos and doing that during a pandemic via Zoom call, the ones who ultimately said, yes, I signed on the dotted line, they also had a, a personality, you call it like that, that, that felt comfortable with this level of uncertainty. And I think in that sense, uh, maybe it's natural selection, going back to Darwin and Galapagos and the stories, but that type of natural selection also led us to have today an organization of people who are comfortable with uncertainty. And uh, you know, ultimately, if there is an industry which, which has to face uncertainty every day is, is biotech intrinsically because of the, uh, the innovative biotech because of the uncertainty with the science. And indeed, you want to have the people there that, you know, are comfortable with that. Great. Thank you. And we've touched a bit here on on leadership. And obviously, you've talked there about flexibility and, and looking at kind of how you manage uncertainty, uh, which clearly really important throughout a, a pandemic. Um, were there any other lessons you learned during this period of time? Uh, well, I learned about the value of uh, of the community, of the well, social community. I think we all learned that. But then, as a as a leader, the value of being together, of uh, of being in the same uh, in the same office, 
of uh, having the ability to go to have lunch to meet at the coffee machine right these things that when you have them you don't realize them you take for granted and and then I realize how important that is to create the texture of an organization of, of teams, right? Because that's where you discuss, you discover about each other, uh, you, you, you help, you strengthen each other, especially in moments of, of, of challenges. And, you know, you go on Zoom meetings and they are super efficient, right? You have an agenda, you go from one hour, one hour, you solve the topics, you address it, and then you're done, you move to the next one. Uh, but to a point then, uh, not effective on the long run. So I'm, I'm, I think that was a good also realization of something that, that we all took for granted probably. So I'm really happy uh, that I would have the possibility, I have the possibility to travel, to see my, my teams across Europe, uh, also in the headquarters. And, and I see that also coming back from it. No, of course. And and I guess on, on this theme of, of uh, collaboration, I think many companies are looking at simplifying structures of or organizational structures to, to in, encourage more collaboration. So I guess looking forward, how, how do you see the fabric of your organization evolving over the next five years to, to really help drive that collaboration? Well, we are in a different phase uh, somehow, say like uh, three years ago where uh, 50 people uh, now well, we are a few hundreds uh, right so it's uh, it's definitely not a phase of uh, re- redesigning an organization is more about uh, um, about realizing that we are now in a different phase right um, when you're a handful of course the the type of connectivity is different you can leave it more to you know the serendipity of bumping to each other somehow uh, with a large organization, then some structure becomes more important. And uh, in that sense, we start from a very simple, very simple systems, which are kind of self-governing because again, five, 10 people don't need to have a real governance, right? Uh, you know whom to call and, and then you expect to be called if something happens. Uh, when you get to 300 more people with, uh, with, with countries and uh, headquarters and external partners, then, then, then you need to set up some structure. So we might be uh, coming from another direction from, from the trend you, you indicated, uh, but the point of simplification and, and staying simple, that's an attention point uh, that they definitely have uh, because as we grow and as we need more structure in some areas to be efficient, at the same time, we need to maintain the that type of simplicity in the interactions, that type of direct lines the absence of bureaucracy it's a symbol also of the of the biotech of the startup and the small company great now th- thank thank you and, and in, in terms of focusing really on 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 you now um you've obviously moved countries consistently throughout your career and you've worked in italy france switzerland germany and now the netherlands uh, are you someone that always says yes to new opportunities yeah, Mark. Well, actually, for a period, I've been uh, also commuting monthly to the US from the Netherlands. So <laughs> I love them, right? I and uh, I love the exploration, the fact that the new, uh, the new question, uh, the new problem to solve, or the new opportunities comes there. So I, I'm I'm excited by by that by definition, right? In the, in that sense, of the exploration of different countries was also part of it, right? Uh, not just working with different 
different you know nationalities in my team but also actually living in the different countries even in europe right across the border but then everything changes from food to social norms to uh well we are all familiar with all the stereotypes there are stereotypes but there is something into them respectfully uh so uh, that's something i definitely enjoyed i i think now in realize that uh, good things can bring also many more of those so i think that the the most important skill now has actually become to understand the opportunities and, and then being uh, you know, selective somehow. Selective in the sense of really realizing what's, what's really most important, what, what's the person, as, as, as a, you know, in, personally, what's the purpose uh, you have and what's driving your motivation ultimately, because that's what, what allows you to give the 120%, right? The, 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 the full engagement and doing it uh, almost without effort because you're just doing something you have passion for so ha- driving the opportunity is not because it's a it's a nice job or it's a it's a nice location but really doesn't make sense for where i want to be or what how i want to contribute to, to society to uh to, to, to the world uh, somehow and, and that comes also with the ability to yeah to say also no sometimes uh and uh also with the ability to be patient because uh you know there might be a, a more relevant opportunity next and uh and so having also the, the the attention to persevere also in what you're doing to be able to see the results of it ah, of course of course and obviously we asked you about opportunities but um any particular focuses for you kind of you mentioned the us um any any kind of uh areas you'd like to see yourself kind of in the future well, personally speaking, I I see myself kind of centered uh, in, in Europe, but uh, kind of multi-centered, right? Uh, and it's ambition to um, actually knowing have an office and and, and teams in in Belgium, the Netherlands, have family in Italy, so having the ability to uh, move around uh, those places, work still with the international uh, the international community. And I think that's a good thing that. Uh, uh, COVID, uh, the pandemic brought with all the pain and, and, and the disruptions. But one thing is the realization that we can work in teams, in person, uh, two, two, three days, four days a week, uh, travel at the same time. So being more flexible in that, right? Preserving the objective of being together at the same time, also uh, giving the ability to travel and, and to be in more locations. So that's kind of the dream uh, I have for the next years. Uh, on how to how to organize my life great thank you well thank you so much for for joining me and and covering quite a range of topics there thank you so much Michele and uh, yeah hope to catch up with you again soon thank you wonderful conversation and some solid advice around when to say yes and when to say no to new opportunities Absolutely. He was a really interesting guy. And I found his points around having the right talent inside a biotech environment really, really interesting and having the right people capable of thriving in an unpredictable environment as it can so often be. Yes. And if you're interested in reading more about this topic, be sure to check out one of the articles from Gold's Archive, A Big Boom in Biotech. We'll link it in the show notes. But moving on to our second interview for today, Gold's content and editorial assistant Jade Williams caught up with Robert Grimm, digital marketing and transformation manager at Novo Nordisk, to discuss his passion for marketing, his own creative process when designing campaigns and much more. 
Robert worked to co-create the Digital Centre of Excellence at Novo Nordisk, an initiative aimed at modernising marketing operations at the company and driving higher engagement. He had some great insights to share with us, so let's have a listen. Hi, Robert. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on the show, Jade. (laughs) No worries. Um, So... I reached out to you initially because I really wanted to get sort of an in-depth look into your career. I know you've had more than 10 years now within the marketing space. What would you say are some of the key learnings that you've gained during this time? The first thing I would say is that persistency is key. You would have to put in the hours and go the extra mile uh, to make a difference. And that is to understanding HCPs and understanding the target audience or the patients so that you can reach them on a, on, on their level, so to say. And uh, another thing I would say is to stay calm and have a sense of situational awareness, both when it goes well and during the short challenging periods. Because um, a few years ago, it was a bit more complicating predicting campaign outcomes and the graphs could uh, fluctuate quite heavily. So you would have to learn to read and understand behavioral patterns in order to continuously deliver successful outcomes. So looking at situations from a different vantage points have, uh, have served me well. And, uh, I can imagine. Yeah. And uh, most importantly, for me at least, is uh, to believe in yourself and uh, enjoy your journey. Yeah. Cool. That was very philosophical at the end there, but that, yeah, that does, it does sound quite a, not taxing, but quite a difficult thing to do. What's your sort of creative process when you are transforming these market insights into new business strategies? Yeah. Um, a guiding beacon, I would say, is to analyze, optimize, and repeat. And that's what I always say to my colleagues as well. So Analyzing the campaign data and the website behavior is key to understand in order for you to know what your next steps should be. And this is usually information provided uh, as a summary from agencies. But if you have a subject matter expert in-house, you're definitely in the forefront. So you need to have an understanding on how to transform the data into actionable insights and learn to use that to your advantage. What challenges do you find yourself when you're interacting with HCPs and patients and how do you work to overcome these? Well, when I first started to work within pharma, I heard from many that it's a heavily regulated sector and it's difficult to do digital marketing the way that FMCG does it. However, I wouldn't call it a challenge, but more of a significant and necessary process. And this goes for everybody working in the pharma sector regardless if you're an agency collaborating with us or not. And uh, I fully understand the importance and the requirements uh, for compliance teams to review and to provide their feedback on material. But what I've also learned is that you can actually do a great deal of work if you take the time to explain the what and the how and showcase potential outcomes. So me, I collaborate closely with our compliance team and to my understanding, they're, they're happy to do so with me as well because we both gain a better understanding of how we can actually put an idea, if good, uh, into motion. That sounds great. Yeah, I think I've heard a lot when 
compliance teams say no, people are like, oh, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's completely think of a new idea. But like you say, actually working with your compliance team and thinking, okay, how can we work around this? What is going wrong in my plan that you think would work better? It just seems like a much more viable business process. Yeah. And uh, on, on, on that note, I would actually say when I first started uh, in, within pharma, people were saying, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. But there's also many marketeers within the pharma sector and uh, me having fortunate to be a digital marketing person for, for almost a decade, I can explain it in very, very different ways. I've been in several meetings with the compliance task force team in the UK explaining how we can uh, uh, do LinkedIn and leverage that uh, or TikTok like some has in uh, in. In, in some other countries in Spain and so forth. So having the, the, the knowledge around it definitely helps them understand it. That's why I mentioned you, you can guide compliance to understand it from, from various uh, uh, points of views as, as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned to me previously that you work to co-create the Digital Center of Excellence at Novo Nordisk. Could you explain to our audience what that is and what inspired its creation? Yes, of course. There are publications out stating that several industry peers are increasingly bringing their digital media talents in-house and moving towards a new marketing model that includes both agency assignments and internal capabilities based on needs. Now, I remember reading about a German pharmaceutical company uh, taking all digital media buying in-house and growing their marketing team uh, up to 20 employees. Now, this was two, three years ago. However, they moved forward and now handles everything from the strategy planning of media buys to their execution and accomplishing a, var a variety of goals, including the increase of internal expertise around marketing, driving better performance and decreasing the costs of buys and agency fees. So within marketing, obviously, it's quite a creative field. And having worked in marketing in the past, I've sat there for quite a while thinking, oh, what's the next campaign I can think of? What can I do with these insights that I'm gaining? How can I make sure that we're reaching out to more people and actually form an engaging campaign? What would you say helps you stay creative within your role on a day-to-day -day basis? I would say the great energy from uh, from my colleagues across the organization. Uh, there, we are a quite big company. I would assume that we are now around 43,000 uh, employees. But the conversations that we have around the topics that we are all passionate about and the processes, uh, and the processes around it, uh, I truly enjoy it. So... I would say that that the great energy from the colleagues is uh, is what keeps me staying creative and on my toes. Yeah, that sounds great. What would you say are the key trends in digital and marketing for pharma currently that you've observed? Uh, what we have seen more of uh, now than before uh, is that large brands are collaborating with celebrity endorsements while others are focusing to post valuable and engaging content on social media platforms. And uh, in some markets, companies are actually leveraging TikTok, as you would know. I listened to your previous episode. And uh, their channels have, uh, have seen a great success. 
while other markets uh, continue to do the traditional channels uh, uh, to advertise on. And I, I guess I would say another thing is the chatbot. Now, I think that we both can agree that this has been around for quite some time, but I have actually never been able to see it used as advanced in pharma as in FMCG. And I would uh, assume that is is because that large corporations are in need of tailoring platforms, tailoring the software applications instead of implementing as it is. And uh, we can also read about companies utilizing marketing automation and AI within digital marketing to analyze website behaviors, uh, content consumption across multiple platforms. So I think those uh, those pointers are are the ones. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially recently, I think after the pandemic, it really brought into light the digital health divide. Yeah, telehealth. We've seen, yeah, we did an article on this recently and mm. it's just really encouraging, I think, to see that pharma companies are making a step towards really making their applications and websites more accessible for people that aren't necessarily tech natives and they're yeah. unsure what to do. So seeing lots more easy to use chatbots, like you say, is really a good step in the right direction. Yeah. And uh, as we just mentioned, telehealth and uh, online patient care, uh, this is actually growing more rapidly due to the crisis we went into. So we can actually see a shift in the business that uh, are employing or even outsourcing telemedicine uh, and online patient care experts uh, as, as a scaling business model towards them. So I think that's a, that's also a fantastic step forward. Speaking of steps forward, do you have any predictions for how pharmaceutical <laughs> companies are going to shift their future digital marketing journeys? That's a tough question. And I've been thinking a little bit around this, but all companies address the use of data and customer insights and taking data-driven decisions. So what will be fascinating to see in a few years from today is how many successfully implemented it. Because listening to peers uh, on events and, uh, and on other interviews, we all talk about the multi-channel customer engagement journeys and how it needs to be, uh, how it needs to be tailored towards HCPs and patients. And uh, the pharma industry has gradually embarked the transformation of merging traditional marketing with digital marketing and implementing multi-channel over a few years, but not really made a complete transition until recently due to the circumstances we have or placed in. But I can see a handful of companies pioneered early on with the multi-channel, so to say, building the boat as they sail, while others are currently adapting it. And some companies are still in the early stages of MC structuring a scalable foundation to grow on. Okay, great. Um, that brings me to the end of my questions. So I'd just like to say thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what marketing campaigns you put on in the future. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Jade. It's been a great experience. So thank you very much. Some excellent thoughts there from Robert. As a fellow marketer, it's great to hear ways that others in the industry can find inspiration for their own campaigns. Yes, Robert certainly has an impressive career in the marketing space, and it'll be interesting to see whether his predictions for the future of pharma marketing will hold up. 
Brilliant. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to Michele and Robert for their contributions and to all our listeners. And thank you as always for joining us. We look forward to welcoming you back next Tuesday for another great episode. Indeed. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other like-minded people find us. We'll see you next week. 